Hello, and welcome to Endpoint Management Today. My name is Rhonda Studentkaiser, and I'm the Director of Customer Experience for BigFix. I'm James Stewart, BigFix GitHub Action Expert. Today, we're reintroducing one of our Big Fixers who's been in the Big Fix community with us for many years. Michelle, welcome back. So glad to have you. Hey, thank you. It's good to be back. So, Michelle, I feel like I've known you for a long time. Um, I think the, we we just met up in person and we decided we hadn't seen each other since 2019, but I've known you for much longer than that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But I'm still really excited to learn more about your history around tech and how you made it to Big Fix. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words? Wow. Um, yes. Uh, how, how did I get into tech? It's almost an accident. I didn't really have a plan. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't have a plan. And I went to public school. And in public school, at least back then, you'd have to take this military occupation test called the ASVAB. I remember that. And... Yeah. Yeah. And now there were some people that had plans. And so they would go into the test. And I, some of my friends were these people where they just like selected C for the, for all the answers and then hightailed it out of there. Um, because it didn't matter, you know, to them, but for me, I, I didn't have a plan. So I did the best I could on that exam and didn't really think about it. And then several months later, a recruiter contacted me. Actually, I got contacted from multiple branches, but there was an army recruiter that contacted me with some interesting opportunities. And I ended up going forward with that and enlisting. And my occupation specialty was a technical one. So that's, that's how I got started. And the specialty was radio repair. It was basically isolating, you know, troubleshooting and isolating components and this was back when the components were big enough to actually remove, mm-hmm. you know, replace, solder in new components. Swap about. So a lot's changed. Yeah. My my grandfather did that in the U.S. Army Corps in World War II, I believe, and he was dealing with like vacuum tubes and radios and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, some of this might have been the same equipment. Um, I remember we had these things. I think they were called the. Maybe it was GRC 106s. They were these huge um, shortwave radios, mm-hmm. and those were the most fun to work on. But while I was in, they switched the electronics out to um, some something more modern. And the more modern electronics, we didn't work on them in the same way. They they you know it was much smaller technology, so things were put onto cards and we would just isolate the faulty card mm. and swap those out. So that was much more like, you know, repairing a PC. Yes. Yeah. Back when you had, when we had towers, right. It's definitely gotten that. Like I remember going through something similar in my own journey with like computer repair is like you would repair like much smaller things and much more like detailed work of swapping out components to like just swapping out cards or bigger stuff whole pieces. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot easier, certainly much faster to repair those, but it made the occupation less complicated. So mm-hmm. they reclassified everybody that had that occupation and they added in ComSec, which is the the encryption technology. So that was an additional thing that we could work on while I was enlisted. So a lot changed in a short period of time. 
much like things are changing quickly now. Every day, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. So that was kind of like your first intro to tech. Was there more exposure that you got before <laughs> leading into like computer science or computer type stuff? Oh, absolutely. Once I finished my um, my contract, then I you know went back to civilian life and I had um, had a few years of reserves to really finish that contract. So um, the first thing I did was I tried to get a job using the skills that I had learned in the military and where I lived, the only jobs I could really get was like assembly line electronics. I mean, there were still things being produced in the United States, but it was not the type of work that I really wanted. I didn't want to be, you know, the third shift assembly person. Mm -hmm. So I actually went into real estate. I had a, a, my godfather. Uh, was in real estate and he was a broker. And so my family thought it would be a good idea for me to go and see if that was something I'd be interested in. And I went and did that. And the market at the time was kind of average. So it wasn't that I couldn't get listings, but it was a lot harder to get new listings being a very young person in this office, also just starting out. You know, I didn't have a bunch of clients yet, I was still building a network. So one of the things I did to be useful, because I can't stand to be sitting still, is I would work on the computers in the office. You know, we, we had computers and printers and they were pretty basic what you could do. We were just getting internet access, but we, you know, we would keep client records and things like that on the computers. And so I worked, worked with that. And then I ended up going to another company with the real estate license where I could do smaller, faster transactions just because I wasn't really, I didn't like the pace of real estate at that time. So I switched over to leasing. So I went to this company that would help you find an apartment and it was owned by the local newspaper, which was in Minneapolis. And people would call in you know, for their, for relocation out of state, or they would call in just because they were in a place and looking for something new, or they were selling a home and needed a place while they bought a new one. And we take those calls. And I spent a lot of time getting to know all the properties that you could rent in the Minneapolis St. Paul area, and then match people up to what they were looking for based on, you know, the obvious stuff like size and the number of bedrooms, location, do they take pets, that sort of thing. But also style. You know, some people wanted something more flat-like and industrial. Mm -hmm. Some people wanted character and charm. You know, some people wanted the the newest brand new fixtures and stylish buildings. You know, some people just wanted an indoor pool. So it was a matter of matching people up to the right place. And even at that place, I did really well there, but we had a lot of computers. They were networked. Mm -hmm. We used the internet and that's, that's really where I started to get a lot of experience. And, um, it was primarily Max. It's amazing how computers and technology and the internet just kind of became a crucial part of like every single industry. And it kind of became unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really did transform everything. And, and we keep seeing these waves of transformation happening more and more frequently. 
And every time a new one comes along, there's another career opportunity. And that makes it kind of exciting. You know, it's not like for our parents where if they wanted to, they could select a career at a young age and stay in that career for their rest of, you know, their working life and maybe not have that many options the longer that they stayed in that career. And I feel like for people working today, there are new options coming up all the time. And that's really exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. I My first kind of job where I worked with computers was at a photography studio. And the gentleman that ran the photography studio was kind of a, he he liked computers. So he was creating a paradox database and he was teaching me how to do it. So that's how I got kind of like one of my first starts was building, helping him build this database and doing data entry into his database for his photography business. I had no idea. I didn't know you worked in that industry at all. That's and I've known you for a while. I'm so surprised. <laughs> oh, all of my all of my technology for the longest time was just uh, what I lucked into. Do would do. I worked for a paint like the Bob Ross kind of guy. You know, Happy Little Clouds. It was a competing business, but I worked for them and I worked on their computers. I mean, <laughs> it was just like random stuff. <laughs> but wherever there was technology, I would figure out the programs. I even helped my mom with like. Um, they have a vet clinic or they did have a vet clinic and they implemented a, you know, a patient tracking system. And I helped her with that. It was really random. It wasn't anything that I went to school for or did until much later when I decided I really wanted to do this as a career. And then I actually learned how to program and do all that kind of stuff. But it was super random. (laughs) Wait, did I hear you say you worked for Bob Ross? No, um, it was a company called Alexander Art. So it was a competitor to Bob Ross. Okay. So there was Bob Ross and yeah, and his stuff. And then there was, um, I can't remember what his first name was, Bob Alexander, maybe. Maybe they were both Bobs. And he had, you know, so they sold like colors and paintbrushes and stuff like that. But he, he also had like a TV show on like PBS and stuff like that. No. Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, so once you got into tech, how did you make your way to Big Fix? Big Fix? (laughs) Um, It was, it was packaging, you know, it was application packaging got me in that direction. After I worked for that uh, apartment finding organization, as the internet became a little bit more prevalent, people weren't using it as much, you know, because they could find things on their own much more easily. So I followed a colleague to a health insurance company and the healthcare provider system. Right. You know, so that's not all states have that, but in Minnesota, we had that. So I went there and I just started at the help desk and they had a just a really broad variety of things from operating systems, all kinds of in-house apps, things that they purchased. And it was right around the time that it was about time to be upgrading to, it was back then it was Windows NT. Wow. So we were going to have this rollout for that and how they had been doing that before with all the clinics and all the hospitals you know, the, the insurance part of the business was pretty well consolidated to just a couple of buildings and they had their own IT on site. 
But the clinics, not so much, right? They were scattered all over the state. And whenever there was some kind of an upgrade, you know, take a couple of texts and they'd go on the road and basically hit every single one of those. And it would take them, you know, a year <laughs> to go and, and, and get to all of these locations. And they were just not, they were not having that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? They just couldn't really afford to do that anymore. There still needed to be some touching of things, but there was definitely no more time for somebody to sit there with a CD or a thumb drive and install ap- applications manually and configure them. I mean, that was just a deal breaker. So that was the first thing I worked on after I started at the help desk. There was an opportunity to get promoted to this migration team. And so I went in and did that. And part of our project pre-work before implementation was to package all the applications. And so that's where I learned how to how to package. And that's really what got me into you know, the next level, which is a d- deploying mm-hmm. of those applications remotely. And then that after that, I got to use a whole bunch of different solutions over the years. And Big Fix was my first and to this day, my absolute favorite. Big Fix wasn't the first one I used, but it was my first favorite where I was like, wow, I really like this one. Mm-hmm. You know, where previously it was like, okay, how do I do things with this? Yeah. And I, I was just kind of... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a preference or not. I just figured out how to do it and did it. But with Big Fix, it was, everything was so much easier. And it was all because of the, it was because of relevance and properties. Mm-hmm. Just the power of that. So that's kind of how you made your transition from help desk to sysadmin. I did a ton of those projects. Mm-hmm. Some of them were pretty short term. They were very contained just to the migration. So once it was done... You know, you get paid and then you go to the next one. So I did some of those. And then I also did some where I would be the, you know, full-time staff. And so we do just the ongoing maintenance afterwards. But that that ongoing, like, keep things alive is just a lot less interesting to me. So I did a lot of those projects instead. Very cool. I was almost always on help desk while also being a big fix admin. I, like, did both simultaneously. And that was always really interesting because then I could use my interactivity with with like our end users to then inform like, oh, I should do this in Big Fix and fix things proactively. Yeah, and you were really innovative. I remember before you joined, well, I say that like it's in the past. You were innovative. Oh, no, yeah. I'm no you longer are innovative. innovative. You innovative. Still are. <laughs> you are. But <laughs> sorry about that. But it's something I noticed about you right away. Um, when I would see your contributions, especially where they were the most visible, like in the in the user groups, the in-person user groups, mm-hmm. just some of the solutions you shared were really groundbreaking. And it's cool that you got to work at a place where you could see the big picture. Yeah. Like that. And be able to do something and with it. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, right. And still have um, not only see it, but be in a position where you could actually make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be empowered to actually take action on ideas that you had that's yep sometimes that's really hard yeah for in, sure. in regimented kind of environments you know it, even though you could do it better you know oh we've got a tool for that or whatever you you made yep. it real <laughs> and you still for do sure. that here <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's awesome that you got into this project work that way yeah, it was a lot of fun. Project work, you know, pays well. It's fast paced. It's really good for people that like to be in the now. 
you know, so I, I like that work, but it is, you know, you can only move house so many times in your life. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a point where I didn't really want to do that anymore. It was pretty disruptive, right. To, uh, to having a personal life. So I have settled down a bit (laughs) since then. Makes sense. Yeah. So you've left and come back to the big fix business a few times. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, sure. You know, apart from one hiatus, the most recent one, I was always engaged with Big Fix. I mean, really consistently since I think the first time I used it was in 2005. So since then, I've been engaged and now I was either a, a, a customer or a consultant to a customer. And then I came into the Big Fix business as an employee and I was in a couple of roles. I was in professional services and in the accelerated value program or AVP, mm-hmm. which is a great role. But when I was in AVP, I got this great view of a lot more of the business than I was ever able to see before because the customers, the, the, well, the way that AVP works is that you end up being the point of contact for the customer for a lot of things. So there's some, you know, account manager type responsibilities mm-hmm. there. And then there, it's mostly like a technical role. But for the account manager responsibilities, there's things like taking feedback and making sure it gets to product, you know, making sure that the marketing messaging, when we talk to the customer is accurate, there's, you know, stuff like that. So I would get to interact with all these other parts of the business and also with engineering at a level higher than I had access to before. And and what that made me really want to do was get into product management because I had all these insights from my own experience, from watching all of the, you know, previous clients that I'd had before I joined the business Mm -hmm. and how they responded to big fix, what they needed. And, and then also getting this feedback from, all these different kinds of customers where I was working with them basically on a day-to-day basis. So I get to see really what it was like and I really knew their pain points. And I just wanted to bring that visibility into product, right? And and help influence the strategy. I really think like AVP gives you that perspective because you spend, it's like very holistic and you're spending a lot of time with the customer and a lot of time with the, you know, big fix side of things. So like you really get that, like higher level view of every single piece that's going on. And then that I can see how that led you into like, Oh, this, this piece of that experience I like the most. Let's, let's focus on the product management side. Yes. Now that was in, in previous ownership. So I'm going to talk about (laughs) maybe some things that, that have nothing to do with big fix today. But back then in that role, I had expressed interest in, in going to product. I talked to the, you know, the director of product and, if everything sounded good and I couldn't get out of the role that I was in. I just couldn't get out in order to go to switch over. And so the only path that I could see to get there was to leave the organization and come back in. Mm-hmm. Now that, it, that was a, that was an issue due to previous ownership. So I, you know, I, I'm not saying anything about where we are now. I, I don't think we have those same challenges today. So I did that. I, I went and ran endpoint management for a company that was just about to go public on Market Street. 
And that was a lot of fun, completely different environment. You know, I'd gone from lots of lots and lots and lots of different operating systems and extreme scale. You get to see really cool things in AVP. Mm-hmm. Then I went to this company that had like 2000 people, mostly Macs, mm-hmm. you know, and everything else was SaaS. And it, it just was... Um, it was interesting because they wanted to, to scale for the future. So so I built an endpoint management solution there that was scaled to 10,000. And then once that work was done, it was maintenance. And so then it was less interesting again. <laughs> That's like kind of how I always get right. Yeah. Um, yep. So, but right around that time, right after I'd finished that, I got a call to come into HCL as a product manager. So it worked, <laughs> right? I. I, I was a big fixed customer the whole time that I was gone. So I was still really engaged with the business, but it was definitely good to come back in HCL. So um, I'm not in product now because I did step away to pursue something that didn't work out so well at a startup. And I am very grateful that HCL welcomed me back. And now I'm working in customer experience for Rhonda. (laughs) And so I'm getting to do something completely different again. And there's a lot of really exciting work for us to do here. So I don't see myself getting bored with this one. I don't (laughs) see how this one could ever turn into maintenance. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's possible. So pretty excited to be here. Very cool. Yeah. Have you ever, once you got into Big Fix, were you both, I think you've both been consistent because Rhonda, you've been here for several years. I've been here, it'll be four years in February. Four years. So I haven't left and come back, but I have definitely been with Big Fix for a long time. I think I started in 2012 at my previous employer and kind of worked my way from being sort of a patch coordination role. So I would, you know, intake patch content and and help coordinate when it went out and notify people that it was coming and that sort of thing. I started with like non-security stuff and then I moved into security and then I <clears throat> then I uh, then I decided I wanted to run the team that ran Big Fix cuz I got really into like the actual technology of it instead of just you know having it as a tool or an aid to what I was doing and you did emergency response with Big Fix, so it kind of helped with that here as well when we have emergency, you know, mm. like that emergency management or emergency response thing. It's different here because we're, you know, helping our customers to use the technology to get through those things. But I've done lots of things with Big Fix, but yeah, 12 years, well, 12 years, I don't know, 2012, 2023, 13 years, 20, 24. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> All Big Fix. <laughs> Right. Nice. What about you, James? So I started at Big Fix in 2017, and I've kind of been in like a half IT role and half kind of like uh, software development and and automation kind of thing. And I've uh, since then kind of become more full time automation uh, work and less so the IT work. So that's been kind of my shift, but. I started with actually using Big Fix in 2011 as a customer. So that's kind of my history with all of that stuff. Yeah, it's both of you. And when I knew we were bringing you on, 
It was really, I was so thrilled. I think we tend to hire for the most part people that we already know. Mm-hmm. And it's made the, I think it, it kind of influences the community too. It sort of makes it feel a lot more tightly knit. I hope it doesn't make people feel like it's closed, like sure. it's so clicky and exclusive, right? I don't think it feels like that, but it feels like we all just know each other from way back. Mm-hmm. I mean, even when we when we see customers, it feels like that, and it's um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, when you go to a user group, it's like, oh yeah, it's great to see you. It's been a while, and you know, catching up and stuff. Yeah, it's really nice feeling. That's a nice segue to what Michelle. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what do you do now? <laughs> Oh my goodness. What what don't we do in CX? So I think the things I'm focused on the most are the the community communication channels. So that would be, you know, Slack, the forum, LinkedIn. I think I might be picking up some responsibilities for bigfix.me, sounds like. And I'm paying attention to GitHub. I'm I'm not doing much with that there because I don't I don't own the repo, but I do pay attention to it. And, you know, some social media work, the in-person events. So we just had a couple of user groups. So we can talk about those in a minute. Then also the webinars. And we are probably going to have some new video elements coming soon. So I don't feel too bad talking about that on here. We haven't started it yet, but that's coming real soon. Very cool. And just generally, we want to enable the customers, right? To make them feel like they're a part of the community, and to help them grow their skills and increase their own network so they feel connected and have a place to go to collaborate. It's one of the best things about the Big Fix community is that, you know, I, I watch all the time, you know, people, c- customers helping customers. There's nobody who, you had that quote from the recent user group, nobody's ever alone. You never feel like you're alone right. in your Big Fixness. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've been like busy with project work and I haven't been spending as much time on the Big Fix forums and I like kind of miss it. And I feel like I need to make the time and spend more time there and just feel like more connected with, you know, the day to day customer, you know, things that are going on and that people are wanting help with. And I think it really helps me kind of like shape my understanding of what Big Fix is to people on a day to day basis. And that's really helpful. Yeah, it's, I think, well, when we produced these last couple of events, which are the first, not the first, because Casey had a user group mm-hmm. in Ohio. I was there. Yeah, it was the first two produced by CX this year. And I think we hadn't had any for, for quite a while yep. because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And when we produced those, I asked Kristen you know, what does she want those events to feel like? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's the one giving us the budget to do it, right? So what what does she want the outcome to be like? What, it, what does she want customers to experience? What's her view? And she described the first time she went to a user group in Emeryville at the Big Fix office when she first joined the business. And she said she was shocked to see customers and employees sitting on the floor with their laptops working on stuff. Mm. She said, you know, whatever she'd been to user groups, they were mostly glorified business card trade, you know, back when we use business cards, right? They were glorified business card trading opportunities. And maybe you got something out of that, or maybe you didn't. And then the company that sponsored it would 
would put on a bunch of marketing stuff. Right. And then there'd be a happy hour afterward. And that would be the only time that there was any actual like interaction. Right. Yeah. And our our user groups aren't like that. Right. right? Ours ours are more collaborative and the whole purpose of them is to give them opportunities to build their skills and to meet each other. Yeah, absolutely. And we surveyed that. So we just had two user groups. We had in person, we had one in Santa Clara, California, and we had one in um, the Boston area in Massachusetts. And we pulled the attendees to ask them, why did they show up? Mm. And I was sure they were going to say that they were there to, to learn some new big fix. Thing, sure. Right. Something that will give them a new skill and help them get something done faster. But 86% said they were there to grow their big fix network. Mm, wow. And that's wild. That definitely informs future agendas yeah. that we want to have more collaborative activities. What's really interesting about that is like when you are a certain level of like sysadmin or DevOps or like, you know, you're doing a lot of like interesting, slightly more complicated solutions in big fix or stuff like that. Like you are, you're often like the only person at your company that's doing that. Or like you're one of like a very small team of like maybe, you know, two to three people and you don't really have a chance to talk to someone else and be like, how did you solve this problem? Because this is how I'm thinking of solving it. And, you know, that's a selling feature of Big Fix too. But I mean, we say that because you can impact so many endpoints with a small team, right? So it's something mm -hmm. that it's actually something that's like desired by a lot of our customers so that they can get a lot done with a, you know, limited resources, which every IT shop in the world has limited resources, right? But but it lends mm -hmm. to that exactly what you're saying of feeling really alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I wanted to add there, and I agree with you completely, Rhonda. What I wanted to add to that is I got to see the other side of things, you know, James, you came from educational institutions, yep. so I think your experience is unique. For sure. Where Rhonda and I, most of our background, I think once we, you know, really got our careers going, and Rhonda, correct me if I'm wrong, but they've been enterprise size corporate experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and our ability to network is kind of limited by that culture and then whatever our mentors taught us about networking. Mm -hmm. And I, f I found that just because I went, I worked at so many places doing those implementations and met so, so many people through doing that, that I naturally had a network, mm -hmm. but I didn't really understand it until I worked on Market Street. So when I worked on Market Street in San Francisco, there were all these startups. I know it's changed right over the past few years, but, but back then there were all these startups. And when we would go to happy hours, we would all talk, right? not just socially, but we would all talk about what we just implemented, mm -hmm. what we were doing, and we'd be copying each other. Yeah. Because somebody else just did the thing that's on our roadmap, yep. right, that we're going to have to do. And so we would find out if they were successful. And if they were, we would just like go do what they were doing. And now while that may or may not be the best path, you have to make the right choices for your business. It reduced a ton of the friction mm -hmm. of implementing something new or making a change. 
And I think that's where it really made sense to me because we, we were networking so frequently that I started to understand, wow, I really need these people a whole lot more than I thought. Yep. I think a lot of people think networking is there for when you get laid off, <laughs> you got somebody to call, right? Or so you can have someone to talk to who understands where you're coming from. I mean, sure, absolutely all those things. Mm -hmm. But where it really pays off is if you're staying in more frequent communication and talking about the things that you're doing day to day and solving those problems, you know who, you know what audience does this really well? Moms. <laughs> yeah. 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 Kind of like parents collaborating and connecting on what works yes. and what doesn't. Yeah. We can learn a lot from moms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And and I and and that's entirely why you know I mean we we understand it, uh, that you know it's real hard after the pandemic you know, just the you know the the risk of all of that but you know people are are kind of cushy in their home offices and they don't want to come <laughs> out right so you know it's going to be a bit of a, I think it's going to be a li little <laughs> bit of a slog for us to get back to those to that frequent you know, communication, but that's what we want to build. I, you know, it, I mean, we have, we, we have our own selfish reasons for why we want to build it, but, but at the heart of it, we want to help people solve their, their IT problems and we know how to do it mm -hmm. and we know how to learn from each other to do it better. And when we interact with our customers in the ways that we do, you know, we make big fix a better product that's better suited to what, our customers actually need to, to do. So there's, like I said, there's selfish reasons behind this, but we, we all know and have experienced how important that is to how we use the tool. And that's what we want to get back to the community. Yep. Yeah. If you're, well, I want to, I want to put a shout out to all the people who showed up at the user yeah. groups that we just did. We're, we're grateful because they were, they were a lot of fun and we're certainly going to have more of them. But I, I, I beg you all who are working from home to consider leaving the house to meet your colleagues. Because when I asked some people that I expected to show up at, there were a few people that I was absolutely sure were going to be there that didn't even sign up. And I made some phone calls to find out why. And... It wasn't the most popular reason, but a very common reason was I don't feel like dealing with the traffic. Mm. I don't, I just, I don't feel it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like leaving the house and we have to find a way to help ourselves get out of that situation because if we're not collaborating, we're going to continue banging our heads against the wall, trying to solve problems that like you said, James, other people have already solved. Yeah, exactly. You can't have those conversations fully, or you probably shouldn't, on social media because you're going to have to get into some areas of disclosing some things about your business that you don't want to put out there in social media. So thinking you can just do it all on the forum or that you can do it all on Slack or you can get it all from going to a webinar, those things aren't going to cut it. Eventually, you have to build some, some personal connections. And you can do over the internet, but it's a lot more difficult. Well, and you build the trust relationships in person that you then trust when you're uh, at home in your home office, right? <laughs> when you're in the basement. Absolutely. <laughs>
Yeah, I have a perfect example. We had a capture the flag challenge in the most recent user group. And the challenge was pretty tough. I think the average time it took a tech advisor to complete it was an hour. Whoa. So, yeah. I mean, there was one who got it done in 15 minutes. Or that was a former tech advisor that got it done in 15 minutes. But the average TA time was an hour. So we brought that challenge to the user group. And the average time with Big Fix in that particular room was three years. So not beginners, but, you know, we've got folks that have been in the community for 10 plus years. Lots, lots of people like that, that really know the product inside and out. And, and that's not who was in the room. So we broke the room up into teams of, uh, I think it was, we had four teams and had them compete against each other to solve it. And they were so engaged mm. in solving that. And to be able to see each other, how they work. And collaborate. You know, how the other people make decisions, how they come to a decision. Those are the types of things that help you learn not only your own strengths and weaknesses, but where you're resonating well with other people. Mm-hmm. You might like all the people in the room, but there are probably just going to be one or two that you're really going to kind of click yeah. with. And, and that's that gives when you work that closely together, it gives people the opportunity to get a feel for that. So when they are back at home, they can then collaborate, you know, electronically and make that work. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Michelle, for being here on the podcast and telling us your story and what you're up to. This has been awesome. Hey, thanks, James. I'm really looking forward to doing more work with the community here. And uh, thanks to our listeners for joining us today on Endpoint Management Today. This podcast is the brainchild of James Stewart and Rhonda Student-Kaiser. You just heard us talking. The program is edited by me and James, and our original music is from Dan Corcoran, awesome big fix product specialist. Thank you.